electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We cling to totems in this business, and often those totems actually lead us in the right direction. Last week, I told you the market was oversold, the deepest oversold level since the pandemic began. And I thought that seemed extreme versus the backdrop. Remember, I said sentiment got much too negative. So unless we got a sudden spike in COVID fatalities, not cases, fatalities, so far so good, we're due for a bounce which meant it was time to hold your nose and buy something. Sure enough, the Dow roared 647 points, S&P jumped 1.17%, and the NASDAQ rallied 0.93%. It was a textbook oversold bounce. So therefore, the question is, are we looking at a sustainable rally or merely a temporary short squeeze? Many hedge funds were caught with their proverbial pants down. There's only so far as we can go on sentiment alone, and that's what drove this. Sentiment, okay? We need to see something tangible, something real. So let's see. How did the day unfold? Sometimes that gives us the clue. Now, the morning's trading begins about an hour before dawn, when if you watch the bottom of your screen, you can see many prominent NASDAQ names getting crushed while the S&P 500 names held up well. What's weird about this, though, is it's a pattern that starts in the early morning hours. For instance, if you are up at 5 a.m. to watch CBC, you'll typically get a sense of what the day might look like. And this morning, the sellers were getting insanely bad prices. It was almost like no matter what tech names they dumped, they were willing to obliterate the stock. It was almost as if they wanted to drive the NASDAQ down as much as possible. And you know what? I'm not paranoid. That is a real possibility. These, these early morning moves are done on almost no volume, though. They feel as if someone is, I'm going to give a technical term here, Painting the tape. And that's a way to influence stocks so that they, in this case, look heavier than they rarely than they really are. Heavier meaning more likely to collapse. Now, I'm not going to accuse anyone of market manipulation. I can't prove it. But this kind of action certainly raises eyebrows. The moves heavily concentrated from 5 to 6 a.m. were commented on endlessly by market observers. And therefore, they set a negative tone narrative. 
Could they be doing it to take the whole market down? Is that what these traders are doing? Or then again, maybe the sellers are just so stupid they didn't know what was going to go on. Even as the Nasdaq ultimately did lag by the S&P, saved by the mega caps. Still, I wouldn't place too much faith in their stupidity. Apple was the most important stock in the Nasdaq. That came out strong right out of the gate. Other than Apple, though, the early morning sell-off in tech seemed totally out of touch with reality. And I do believe there were people trying to create a climate and reality of fear. And they almost succeeded in doing that and getting you to sell your stocks. I didn't want that to happen, hence the 9 o'clock show. But now, generally speaking, this market reacts not to the ephemeral, but to three things. It reacts to earnings, the Fed, and COVID. Obviously, we had no earnings this weekend, right? It's not like Bitcoin goes well, it's down 20%. Thank heavens, at least stocks don't trade like that. The Fed already spoke last week. They're done speaking. And that leaves COVID. But the COVID news this weekend was actually positive. If you watch the talk shows this weekend, you would know that there's so far, so far, and I have to keep saying, so far, nothing special about this Omicron strain, except that it could become the dominant one. And more important, it seems to make you less sick than the Delta variant. Dr. Gottlieb couldn't confirm that, and Dr. Topol can't either, but those are my two, my two totems in that business. If fear, though, breeds selling, then less fear should breed less selling or actual buying. And that's what we ultimately got this time by when the market opened. So I'm begging you, please don't take your cue from the phony pre-market action. Wait for the real action after the morning's research comes out and traders actually show up to work. The higher the volume, the less likely it is that the stocks are being manipulated with that in mind. How do we get a read on today's action? Okay, markets have multiple leaders. Sometimes it's really the FANG stocks that lead the way. And there was some good action in there, more on that later. But the best leaders are the transports. The transports. Why? Because they show you that commerce is accelerating right here. And then the second best are the banks, because they show you that lending is expanding when they go higher. When these two groups are in good shape and go up in tandem, it is very, very rare. But the pin action is tremendous. From the get-go, the airline and the travel stocks took off. That's an amazing sign. It means the vacationers of the world are less worried about the Omicron strain than their governments are. Historically, these stocks have traded down on travel restrictions. This time, the buyers of Marriott, Delta, United, Southwest, and so many others told you that either the authorities are boys who cried wolf, or perhaps COVID has become an acceptable risk. Foolishly acceptable for those who are unvaccinated, but reasonably, and yes, rationally acceptable if you've gotten your shots, particularly three of them. Remember, the thing Wall Street fears most isn't another vicious COVID outbreak. It's about a lockdown. They don't want to see a lockdown. I think a vicious winter COVID outbreak is highly possible, likely. But a lockdown is no longer in the cards. When these travel stocks took off, that's what they were signaling. It means you can afford to take more risk on. You can buy some of the more aggressive stocks that are now down. Even better than that, though, it was the transports. The show, even better than the transport show, the banks. Oh, that's where the excitement was today. When you see the banks move up, you know you're going to have a good session. It's the most important group because it tells you the economy is buzzing and the market can handle a rate hike. And that's crucial because the market's been in a funk ever since Fed Chief Jay Powell retired the term transitory when it came to inflation. The term transitory had become our lovey blanket. So once that blanket was pulled, it got ugly. Now, today, the banks shrugged it off, though. That's gigantic because the banks are basically the market's offensive line. You don't notice how important they are, but they allow you to spring a running back industrial or a fleet of foot wide retail receiver. 
Okay, so in other words, what your fleet foot, what, sorry, what you're, I'm trying to, this is a difficult analogy. I'm going to grab the ball. Okay, so there's an offensive line, and that is these stocks that I'm talking about, the banks and the transports, particularly the banks. They block for you so you can run downfield, okay? And the ones that want to run downfield are the industrials, and then you want to pass the ball to the retailers. So you have time in the pocket because of the offensive line. The offensive line, typically the banks. Amazingly, they can't be considered leaders, uh, but the beaten down Chinese stocks failed to keep falling, too. Again, sometimes it's about the absence of negatives. So now we'll review. Banks, good. Travel, good. China, not bad. Which brings me back to sentiment. I did some work with my friends at Market Edge this weekend trying to identify an action point where this market can bounce on a catalyst like the public's collective decision to continue traveling, as represented by the rally in the transports. Market Edge puts out this S&P oscillator, and it's a reading comes out every night. I pay for it, which measures buying and selling pressure in the market. When the oscillator's at zero, we're neutral. But as it moves toward the positive mid-single digits, be careful. That means there's too much bullishness ready for fall. Mirror image on the downside. As the oscillator gets lower, it means the sellings become too severe. And that's how you get that coiled spring I was talking about last week. Ever since the pandemic began, we've known one thing about sell-offs. When the oscillator that the S&P keeps track of, this market edge, when it trades to minus five, it's like a magic line in the sand. Things got a little dicier when the oscillator penetrated the five level last week, even breached seven, negative seven, that is. It looked like we might be on the verge of something big and bad. Maybe we get some horrible Omicron numbers over the weekend. But when nothing happened bad, we finally got the inevitable oversold bounce. How long can the strength last? (sighs) Here's the bottom line. I don't see much in the calendar that could derail the bull until Friday, when we get the consumer price index number, which I expect to be red hot. But in this market, four days is a lifetime. And for traders, today was a bird in the hand. Maybe two of the bush comes next week. Let's go to Stefano in New York. Stefano. Professor Kramer, loving being a member of the investment club. Yes. Yes. So good. So good. Thank you. Thank you. So 2021 has been an issue of supply chain issues. Uh, We've seen in all these companies, especially retailers that have reported, this specific retailer has been able to control their own supply chain issues, but is still down 5% for the year compared to the S&P that's gone up about 20 what is going on with Walmart stock? Well, you know, you're a member of the investment club. We're going to do a thorough vetting of this stock on our Thursday club call. But I will tell you, I find that the action is more disappointing than the actual company, which I think is doing fairly well. That said, I mean, you know what? You're going to be seeing a new thing, a new video I'm working on with uh, my colleagues for the investment club, where you'll see me literally kick myself because I was so upset that I didn't let more Walmart go when it was in the high 140s. Stefano, thank you for those kind words. I think the strength is going to last this week, but because uh, there's just nothing until Friday that can derail the pool. I know that sounds like a short term, but it's a lifetime for some people. On Mad Tonight, the turbocharged cloud stocks have hit the brakes. Well, what was it that brought these cloud stocks down to earth? I'm piecing apart the action over the last month so you can make the best decisions. And now the damage is done. Is it time to start picking among the rubble? I'm going to give you my take and share some stocks on my radar. And CBC revealed a new index, the CBC Next Gen 50, highlighting 50 stocks that are most important to Gen Z and millennials. I know a lot of you watch the show. I'm going to take a closer look and I'm going to highlight some of my favorites. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The last couple of weeks have been absolutely brutal for vast swaths of this market. And while some of these groups did rebound today, their stocks are still down huge. We keep hearing this meltdown described as a risk-off moment for the market, but I've always hated that terminology. I think it misses the most important dynamics here, and it confuses you. What we're really dealing with are several concurrent declines. You've got the total breakdown of the pandemic place. Think Zoom, Video, Peloton, Roku, or the decapitation of DocuSign. And that's been going on for a while now, but it's accelerated dramatically. You've got the IPOs from the class of 2021, almost all of which are struggling at this point because they came in way too hot and they got burned. We're flooded with supply. We've had a record number of deals this year. And sooner or later, that always ends badly. You've got the Chinese stocks, a group that's been slow-motion train wreck since summer, but got much worse last week when the SEC finally formalized new rules that result in the delisting of many Chinese stocks that don't comply with simple U.S. regulations. you got a nasty sell-off in anything connected to cryptocurrency. Bitcoin down 25% from its highs in less than a month. You've got some specific retailers that are being strangled by supply chain woes, even as many of their competitors are in great shape. Then there's the most important group to this market, the one that's in the center of the blast radius. And here I'm talking about the ultra-fast, 
high-growing stocks, most of which are cloud-based software names that trade at sky-high price to sales, not earnings, sales multiples. Well, they have no earnings, and this is the group that is worth focusing on. Now, you know I have been a huge fan of the cloud companies for ages. I still think we're early innings, no longer infancy. But I really like the group in the last year. Their stocks have been trading it, though, uh, as I've liked them, I have to admit, the stocks are trading at what, are, what some people could say are ridiculous valuations. Now that Wall Street has turned against turbocharged growth stocks, the whole edifice has indeed come crashing down, even though many of these businesses are still putting up excellent numbers. So tonight, I want to take some time to do a cloud damage assessment. You need to understand why this is happening and how much worse the pain can get before it's safe to start picking at these former high-flying stocks. Then I want to help you pick the best ones to circle the wagons around at a lower level because the cloud's not dead at all, but the stocks, it's, it's getting overdone. First, though, let's talk about how we got here. You've got to understand we're dealing with a sector rotation, and some of that has to do with inflation worries. There are a few things more lethal to high-flying growth stocks than inflation because these stocks are, are known as long-dated assets that trade on their earnings prospects many years down the road. And inflation erodes the purchasing power of these future earnings. So when the consumer price index jumped 6.2% in October, and the Fed chief decides to retire the long-term, uh, the term transitory when describing inflation, instead warning of persistent inflation, well, money managers know what to do. They turn against these stocks. Plus, now investors are worried that the Fed will tighten sooner than expected, and it's put enormous pressure on this entire market. Second problem, going to this monstrous hell if these turbocharged growth stocks are speculative. And speculative assets tend to trade together because they often have the same shareholders. And they can be linked, of course, to ETFs. That's why you always hear this risk-off talk. When cryptocurrencies and new IPOs and SPACs start falling apart, as they all have, the pain tends to spread to the highest-value growth stocks, too. All of this has created a dynamic where investors are eager to sell first and ask questions later. Even after today's rebound, I think this is something you still need to be wary of. And if we get a hot CPI number at the end of the week, we're going to be right back in the soup. Third problem, in a glass-half-empty market, a few bad earnings reports can indeed crush an entire group, even when there are plenty of good earnings reports from the same industry. In this kind of environment, money managers tend to accentuate the negative, eliminate the positive. So it doesn't help that they have been, well, there have been some, a couple of ugly quarters, wow, from the cloud cohort over the past several weeks. Twilio missed numbers, got pummeled. Then DocuSign delivered a hideous disappointment last week, and the stock almost got cut in half. Now, it doesn't matter that ServiceNow and Workday and Salesforce, don't believe what you heard, reported strong results. The results were good. The forecast not as good as I'd like. But nobody's getting any credit for doing well unless their stocks already got crushed going to the print, like we saw with CrowdStrike and Snowflake, one of my absolute favorites. But even in these two cases, both stocks remain down substantially from the highs. So what, here's what we do. We're going to zoom in on the cloud place and assess the damage. We put together a universe of 50 names. You got the Cloud Kings, that's Adobe, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Splunk, Twilio, VMware, and Workday. You got the Cloud Princesses, Coupa Software reported tonight. It's not clear how good it is. HubSpot just crushed today. New Relic, Okta, and Atlassian. Then we went through the top 10 holdings with the largest cloud ETFs and added another 26 stocks, which brings the total to 38. Finally, there are a dozen more that deserve consideration, including new IPOs like AppLovin, Monday.com, and whoa, is that hot? Qualtrics. Sentinel One or UiPath, along with some miscellaneous names that are too important to ignore. Again, like CrowdStrike, DocuSign, and Unity Software. When you look at all of the cloud stocks, okay, all 50, as of Friday night, all but one 
were down more than 10 percent from their highs, all but one. On average, they were down nearly 33 percent, median down 29 percent. Before today's rebound, a full 72 percent of these 50 cloud stocks were in official bear market territory within a bull market meaning they're down more than 20%. That's amazing. Half of them are down at least 30%. A third of them are down at 40%. And 10 of 50 have been virtually cut in half. The biggest losers are Wix.com. Oh, God, their stuff is so good. We use it at the, a Brooklyn restaurant. And Fastly, which is the best way around the web. They were down 60 and 70% respectively as of Friday's close. I mean, Fastly's fast, but yeah, can't have allergies. However, many of these cloud stocks did peak a long, long time ago. For example, the four biggest losers all made their 52-week highs in January or February. Their stocks like Zoom, that were huge pandemic winners in 2020, came tumbling back to earth as the world started returning to normal. That said, nearly half of our cloud stocks peaked in early October or November, and they're at the epicenter of this recent meltdown. As of Friday, Asana was down 54%. Matter of weeks, Sentinel-1 down 41% report this week. Monday.com had lost nearly 39%, no reason. DigitalOcean off 37, CrowdStrike, which we heard from just as soon, was down 34% in less than four weeks, guys. These are incredible bear market moves. Now, when you drill down, over 30, only 34, only 34 of the 50 cloud stocks we looked at are expected to turn a profit this year. And nearly all of them remain insanely expensive on an earnings basis. Only 13 out of 50 trade at less than 100 times earnings. That's crazy. Those 13 have generally held up better, with the median down 17% from its peak. Still nothing to write home about. What we care about with this group are the price-to-sales ratios, though. That's how they've been valued. On average, at the respective peaks, the cloud names were trading at 27 times sales. Now, after the meltdown, they're trading at around 18 times sales. In general, the ones with cheaper valuations have held up better than the ones with higher valuations, although the most expensive aren't doing that much worse than the ones that trade at 20 to 30 times sales because uh, the most expensive ones tend to have better stories. Oh, my. How much money's been lost by the cloud. Just brutal. The bottom line, though, the cloud stocks have been eviscerated. But even after this decline, they're still pretty darn expensive by any metric you care to use. So how do you pick among the rubble? Well, stay tuned after the break. Coming up, I'm digging into these 50 cloud stocks and sharing if this is the beginning of the cloud solve, or maybe it's near the end. Then CNBC's next-gen 50 is putting what millennials and Gen Z like into focus. I'm digging into the list and seeing if any of the names that made the index could be worth owning or at least looking at. And with multiple people testing positive for COVID on a Norwegian cruise ship this weekend, I'm taking a closer look at COVID transmission in our country and what it means to your portfolio. Stay with Kramer. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Before the break, we gave you a much-needed damage assessment for one of the hardest-hit groups over the past few weeks, the cloud stocks, which we talk about endlessly on Mad Money. While we got a respite from the pain today, although it was the weakest group in the entire stock market, the same thing happened last week, and the group still had another monster leg down. So when will the cloud stocks find bottom, and is it going to be found this way? We don't want that. Well, let's turn to history. I, I, I think that's our best hope here. In particular, I want to focus on the last great meltdown in the cloud stocks in the fourth quarter of 2018, because that's the best way to find clues about how the current sell-off will unfold. For those of you who don't remember the fourth quarter of 2018, which was horrendous, we got hit with a market-wide sell-off that ultimately sent the S&P 500 tumbling roughly 20% from peak to trough. It was really ugly. Over the same period, the Nasdaq lost 25 percent of its value. There was such horrible bear market action. I remember calling into the judge's show one day and actually saying to someone who was really saying the market was going to go to lower, enough, enough, because it was that ugly. I was right. Back in 2018, we got a one-two punch that sent the market into a tailspin, and the pain didn't stop until it bottomed on Christmas Eve. True Santa rally. First, the trade war with China started heating up in early October when former Vice President Pence gave a very aggressive speech at the Hudson Institute. Seems pretty prescient if you reread it. The second punch is much more important. It's the reason this moment feels similar to 2018. See, just a few days earlier, newly installed Fed Chairman Jay Powell made some very hawkish statements. He vowed to move aggressively to raise interest rates, even going so far as to say he was willing to overshoot as long as it meant we crushed inflation. Of course, at the time, we barely had any inflation. But that was like the old J-Pal. And I think the disaster in 2018 is what made him revise his whole approach. And that really has been fantastic for the stock market. And by the way, I think for the country. Back then, the Fed was already in the process of raising rates. They'd done it three times already in 2018. They did it again that, that December. That's too quick, too many, too fast. On top of that, though, Powell also told us to expect a series of lockstep rate hikes in 2019. And that terrified Wall Street. It's what crushed the whole market, but especially the stocks that we're talking about, the cloud-based software stocks. It's very reminiscent of what happened last week, although this time Powell's hawkishness turned, well, turned, I think it's a lot less aggressive than 2018. So what happened to the cloud stocks back then? Since the break, we showed you a list of 50 cloud software stocks, but only 33 of these existed in the fourth quarter of of 2018. How'd they do at the time? Okay. On average, the 33 cloud stocks plunged 35.5% from peak to trough in the fourth quarter of 2018. Hey, listen, as of Friday's close, we'd already seen the cloud stocks tumble 33% from their highs this time around. You might be tempted to say, well, that means the worst is over. I say, well, maybe. At the same time, the larger, more established companies like the Cloud Kings held it much better than the smaller, more speculative ones. Maybe we're back on this uh, path, though. Now, looking back, that 2018 meltdown turned out to be an incredible buying opportunity, with a few notable exceptions. Roughly half of these cloud names have now doubled or more from their 2018 highs. And if you bought the highs and if you bought them near your low, their lows, you did even Better. However, there are six of them that never fully recovered. Splunk, New Relic, Box, Dropbox, Momentum, which is the company formerly known as SurveyMonkey, and Zora. So for the most part, buying the dip made sense, but you had to be selective because some of these flamed out. 
Of course, there's one huge caveat to the 2018 analogy. After tightening the December and watching the stock market collapse, Jay Powell changed his tune. By early January, he'd reversed himself completely, saying the Fed was in no hurry to raise interest rates and promising to be flexible in policy. In fact, by late 2019, the trade war with China was in full swing. Powell actually started cutting interest rates. This time, I don't expect the Fed to back off. Until 20, uh, unlike 2018, this is really important, we actually have real inflation now. Whether you think it's persistent, transitory, I don't care. There's no denying it. Plus, the economy's roaring. We've got a 4.2% unemployment rate, for heaven's sake. So something like a 35% decline might be the full extent of the damage to the cloud stocks if we're saved by the Fed. But I just don't see that happening this time, which means we could be looking at more pain. What if we search for price targets instead, levels where the cloud stocks became, uh, could become more attractive? This could help us, right? Okay, first, it's important to recognize that many of them already have reasonable valuations. 18 of the 50 names in our cloud list have single-digit price-to-sales ratio. Yes, which I have no problem with. That includes Kramer Face Salesforce.com, which is owned by my charitable trust, and fellow cloud king VMware. Then there's New Relic, which has become a terrific turnaround play earlier this year before the recent meltdown. In short, if you want to start picking among the rubble and the cheap cloud stocks, well, these have already come down enough to be worth buying very gradually in the way down. Now, these growth stocks trade based on what's known as the out years. So we should also look at the 2023 sales estimates because in a month, 2023 will be next year. On those numbers, there, there are eight that sell for less than 10 times sales, and those are Workday, which you know I like very much, 5.9. I had them one good quarter. Twilio, not that good a quarter, but very good long-term prospects. Those are the ones I like. What about the more expensive cloud names? Let me uh, help you come up with some downside targets here. There are eight stocks that trade between 10 and 15 times sales based on 2023 estimates. Let's paint with a broad brush and say they'll become more enticing under 10 times. In that case, you got Qualtrics, DigitalOcean, and ServiceNow. They can be viable down about 10% from here. Coupa Software might need to sink another 13%. Octa would have to decline 28%. Adobe would have to fall 29%. Although Adobe's a bad fit for this method because it's one of the few that trades on earnings, and it's already got a fairly reasonable valuation on an earnings basis. Then there are the cloud stocks that trade between 20 to 30 times sales uh, currently, but more like 15 to 20 times sales using 2023 estimates. I go quietly because these are very expensive. Let's say they're more enticing at 15 times sales. Some of these, like UiPath, are already less than 15 times sales if you use the 2023 numbers, though. Others are less than 10% away, like HubSpot. Did you see that today? CrowdStrike, one last week. How about the 30 to 40 times sales cohort? Oh, man, roughly 20 to 30 using 2023 estimates. In this new world, you probably don't want to pay more than 20 times sales for even some of the strongest cloud stocks. In that case, MongoDB and Atlassian only we need to sink about 5% to that to reach the level based on 2023 estimates. Although the former, MongoDB, reported a true blowout this very evening and is climbing higher for the close. Uh, Unity, which you know I like very much, that's got to fall another 11%. Zscaler would need to lose 15%, and that's after it was down 12% just today. But it's nice to uh, even think about them being within spinning distance of 20 times sales. Finally, they're the highest flyers, the ones that currently trade at more than 40 times sales. Bill.com, Sentinel-1, this week, Snowflake, and Cloudflare. Let's say they have to sink to at least 30 times sales before they're enticing. If you use 2023 numbers, Sentinel-1's already there. Snowflake only needs to fall another 10%. Not bad. You know I think Snowflake's terrific. Here's the bottom line. The best case scenario, this cloud meltdown turns out to be like 2018, which means there's really not much downside left. But without the Fed coming to our rescue... 
There's still more downside. We're likely the sell-off isn't over. I think there could be one more swoon before we get to Santa Claus rally that we're expecting. So you got to pick out your favorites and then wait for them to sink to even more reasonable levels in some and then reasonable levels at all for others before you start buying. Much more mad money ahead. Gen Z and millennials are a loyal group of consumers. And CBC has put their favorites into an index called the CBC Next Gen 50. I'm taking a closer look at the names, picking out my favorites. Then COVID continues to wreak havoc across the country. So I'm discussing a new concept that might help in the fight against the virus. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's system of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. The market came roaring back today. That includes big moves from most of CNBC's next generation 50 list. You got to love this list. This is a new index of stocks that are most relevant to millennials and Generation Z. Now, it's a perfect combination of senior growth stocks that can be seen as steady winners and junior growth stocks that, frankly, can sink or swim. Lately, the market has little patience for growth stocks. You know that even today. But sooner or later, this rotation will end. And when that happens, you need to have your shopping list ready so you can pounce. That's why I want to give you my top five junior and senior growth stocks from this unbelievably great CNBC Next Generation 50. I mean, as you see them behind me, it's all the companies that you love. It's all the companies that you talk about with your friends. Number one senior growth name, yes, it has to be Amazon. Now, it's not just because it's the best retailer in the world. It's because Amazon Web Services is taking over the rest of the world with its incredible cloud infrastructure business. I also like the devices, notably Alexa and the Amazon Prime programming. Plus, their advertising business is growing so rapidly that it could soon rival the web service business in terms of profitability, not sales. Just a lot to love for this mega cap stock. Second best senior growth stock, no secret, Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google. You know they dominate the lucrative research, uh, lucrative search market, but did you know this? Did you know that the next leg of growth here will come from Google Cloud, which is the same business as Amazon Web Services? Of course, there's also Microsoft Azure. While Alphabet has disappointed the last time it reported, I think that's because they didn't spend enough money to monetize its enormous user base. That is a high-quality problem. Watch Google Cloud take off. Number three is, yes, it's supposed to be in your bear market. I don't care. Tesla. The electric car pioneer still doesn't have much in the way of meaningful competition, at least not until the Ford builds out, until Ford builds out their entire electric product line. That's going to take a little, eh, a couple of years, right? Millennials want electric vehicles, and Tesla's the only one that's making them at scale. That's the key word, scale. Although it's pulled back hard from its highs a month ago, I think it's still got a lot more upside, especially with China finally easing up on American enterprises, possibly as part of some sort of charm offensive. Ahead of the Beijing Olympics next year, they better work fast because of this diplomat boycott. Four is one that, to me, uh, it's one I talk about endlessly. Maybe people just don't know it that well. It's Palo Alto Networks. I think cybersecurity is one of the great growth stories in the world right now, especially now that we have pivoted to the hybrid workplace where we're far more vulnerable. Nobody saw this change coming faster than CEO Nikesh Arora, who's turned Palo Alto into a powerhouse. The stock got clocked today. Hey, you know what? Opportunity. Okay, I know when stocks go down, you hear opportunity. Take it from me. This is a rare break in that stock's price. Fifth and final senior growth name, how can I not mention Apple? Right now, the long knives are out for the Cupertino Colossus. We keep hearing that they've told their suppliers that they don't need any more chips because sales are ugly. Now, that's possible. 
But historically, these Apple supplier stories tend to be unreliable, as I said last week. The first rule of Apple Supply Club is you don't talk about Apple Supply Club. Given the strength of the consumer and all the improvements in the iPhone 13, I'm skeptical. And judging by the stock's rally today, maybe the market's coming around to my point of view. Still, even if Apple experiences some short-term turbulence, they've got the best products that are beloved by millennials. And that's not going to change anytime soon. That's how they think of Apple. They think of it as a product company. We think of it as a stock. Maybe you got to do both. All right, how about the junior growth? This is where it gets real interesting. These are the smaller ones, the Next Generation 50 Index. A lot of these are Uber Junior. Oh, but Uber, of course, is not Uber Junior. It's big. This is a tough group to choose from right now because the junior growth cohort has been obliterated over the last few weeks. Remember at the top of the show, I said that it was even being sold off hard in the early morning? That's these stocks. Now, I always want to find the next Tesla, don't you? And I think Lucid has the best chance on this list. Rivian may be away from it. Rivian's on the list. But now that the target of an SEC investigation, the merger with a SPAC to come public, suboptimal. The cannabis and gaming stocks just have a lot of promise, but both industries have become crowded. The federal government isn't giving them the supply they need. They don't have the support. Okay, here's what they really need. They need nationwide gambling and they need nationwide use of cannabis for recreational. Not getting it right now. I know the memesters want me to pick GameStop, but that's more of a stock than a company. I prefer things to be the other way around. I see some potential in Dutch Bros. Now, that's BRS is like, don't call it Dutch Brothers, please. It's a regional to national coffee store. You see Starbucks? Maybe this today was fantastic. This could be the next Starbucks, but it's awfully early. Uber and Lyft are millennial favorites, but their profitability is far from assured. There are some healthcare names that could be interesting. 23andMe, GoodRx, Teladoc, but they've really been ugly of late. And they'll never be huge like the senior growth names I mentioned earlier, because that's what I'm looking for. However, there are some exciting stories here that could be gigantic long-term winners. Let me give you my five favorites. I'll come back to these time and again. Number one junior growth name is Roblox. That's the online gaming platform. It makes it easy for users to create their own content and share it with friends. Think of Roblox as the true inventor of the metaverse. For a while, this one was viewed as a pandemic play, like Zoom or DocuSign. But it's one of the few that has transcended that now luckless cohort. I am a big fan of CEO Dave Bazuki, and I think you need to treat any further weakness as a buying opportunity. It's a Pretty much of a gift here, frankly. Next up, we keep hearing that retailers don't have enough inventory thanks to the supply chain crisis. Well, you know who doesn't have that problem? It's a company called Etsy. I think that Etsy and Shopify are the two great empowerment stories of our time. Shopify may be the fastest grower, but Etsy is more visible, a place where younger people like to buy presents that are often more environmentally friendly than what you get in a store. They like the connection with the creator, too. That said, don't buy Etsy if you're looking for a smooth ride. It's always a bumpy one. Third, I like Airbnb, particularly now where we are in the, in the post-pandemic pandemic. Now, Airbnb is a company that's already pretty much conquered the travel category. This is an interesting moment for Airbnb because it's another pandemic play made good. If the Omicron variant continues to scare people, then Airbnb will once again become the safest way to travel. Nobody likes big hotels during a pandemic. Plus, their technology keeps getting better and better, and that's not thought about enough. I think Airbnb's management is incredibly strong, and they've been able to stay one step ahead of everyone else. And what a nice rally for that one today. Uh, I really think that stock could be substantially higher. Fourth, we keep hearing that, uh, that even when you own an electric car, you're still plugging into a coal natural gas, uh, natural gas-based grid. I heard that this weekend when I was telling, well, I wasn't just telling the idea of EVs, okay? But what if you use Enphase products that help you charge at home and convert solar energy into electricity? 
Enphase has a huge share in this business, and I think it's only going to keep growing. doesn't hurt that there are gigantic tax credits for this stuff. Honestly, I think Enphase is the only solar stock that's worth owning for the long haul. Finally, I want a financial. I know they're not that good, but I want one. There are two junior growth fintech offerings in the next generation. There's Upstart, which uses artificial intelligence to identify good buyers, say goodbye to FICO. But the one I like the most is Affirm Holdings. That's the buy now, pay later company that's taken the financial world by storm, in part because younger people totally distrust the credit card industry. Affirm's got tight-knit relationships with big retailers, including Amazon. They've also got a messianic CEO, Max Levchin, who wants to destroy the hegemony of credit cards and replace them with something more honest, something that has no hidden fees, no extortion interest rates, and total transparency. A firm often comes off as a financial rebel, which matters because the younger generation always wants to challenge the man, at least until they become the old generation. Then they like the man. Are these junior growth stocks uh, the most lucrative or the fastest growing? No. But I think they have the biggest total addressable market, or TAMs, and the greatest customer loyalty, something that's vanishingly rare to find among younger customers. The bottom line, if you want something forward-thinking of the next Generation 50 list, I want you to stick with Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, Palo Alto Networks, and Apple for the senior growth. And Roblox, Etsy, Airbnb, Enphase, or Affirm, if you want something higher risk, higher reward, Classic junior growth creations. Stay with Craig. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. Tom in New Jersey. Tom! Hey, Jimmy Chill. A Yo. big booyah from Bayonne, New Jersey. Good to have you. What's up? today? What's up? <laughs> I love your show. I'm a member of your investment club. Yes, Thursday. I called into the lightning ball. round because I think my stock got struck by lightning, Jimmy. I want to see what you think of uh, my stock going forward. My stock is 10 National Gaming. That stock's been crushed. It's too much. It's down more than 40%. I, I have to tell you, we're in the height of the gambling season coming up. Pennat and, and DraftKings, they may go down later. But right now, I think to sell them is a mistake. It's just, they, whoa, they're bad. But to sell them right here is a mistake. Let's go to Kenny in South Carolina. Kenny! Booyah, Jim Kramer. You yeah. are the man. I try to be the man. What's going on? I'm asking about GSK. GSK's got a 5% yield. It's trying to bring out value. I think it's doing okay. Not great, not bad. It's all right to own. Income is important. Richard in New Jersey. Richard! Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? Uh, good, good, good. Uh, Jim, love your show. Thank and you. I love your intelligence. Try uh, I wish there were more people, more people on Wall Street like you. Uh, thank Very you. quickly. Uh, I followed Asana Corporation now from uh, 93 to 145. Do you have any idea forecast? Look, I I actually think that people are saying, you know what, it's too expensive versus Salesforce, and Salesforce just did okay. Let's buy some. Let's let's own Salesforce and not that one. That's kind of been the way this market's working. I want to go to Michael in Florida. Michael. Hey, Jim, what's going on? Ah! 
don't know. I'll be your mother. I was just wondering, is uh, Doximity ever going to go up? Or is oh, it, uh, my. I like Doximity. I think it's a terrific way. Doctors love it. They communicate with it. And it does not stop going down. But again, this fits this pattern that I've been talking about the whole show. We're trying to find footing for these. They're very expensive stocks. We're closer to a bottom than we were a week ago. I think Doximity is a buy here. Let's go to John in Michigan. John. Hey, Jim. I bought the stock at 50 that you recommended, and now it's at 16. It's TG Therapeutics. Well, Mike Weiss has not been on since the stock was like at 4 bucks. I don't this thing this is again they're all kind of the biotech has found very little bottom here, but TG Therapeutics, do you know actually like nothing's really wrong? They've actually done okay, but um, they got some price target cuts, they've made a couple of mistakes. Let's get Mike on. Let's get Mike Weiss back on. He's he's a seasoned guy who used to work on Wall Street, and we'll find out what's going on. How about we go to Scott in North Carolina? Scott. Super Kramer, thank you for helping us retail little guy. Chill man's trying. What's going on? Jimbo, I yeah. bought Plug Power here in the 30s. Short interest is running about 9 to 10% currently. Did I do the right thing? Well, i got to tell you, as part of our next-gen 50, uh, Plug Power is needs a better rate environment, believe it or not. It actually needs uh, interest rates to go down for it to go higher. And we don't have that right now. But I'm not going to tell you to sell Plug Power in the 30s. I think you can sell it in the 40s for a trade. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. America's incomplete response to the vaccination could be putting your health and your money in peril. But are we moving on anyway? Kramer tackles this risky business next. This weekend, we learned that 17 people on a Norwegian cruise line holding ship for the Norwegian breakaway came down with COVID, including one suspected Omicron case. The ship, with more than 3,000 aboard, departed from New Orleans on November 28th for making stops in Belize, Honduras, and Mexico, then returning home yesterday. They might say, oh, there we go again, a cruise ship with 3,000 passengers. I mean, what do you think would happen? I say not so fast. Norwegian CEO Frank Del Rio has been very aggressive about vaccinations. You can't work on a ship or board one as a passenger unless you're fully immunized and you've tested negative for COVID. Unfortunately, we now have to start lowering our expectations on two fronts, though. First, the remaining anti-vaxxers are digging in their heels, hence why America has become the biggest spreader of COVID on Earth. And second, the vaccines can only accomplish so much, especially if you haven't had your booster. Maybe the market's starting to wake up to this realization, which is why Norwegian stock jumped almost 10% today, went up. Maybe the authorities will once get behind the curve, but this time in a different way. I think our government and Big Pharma have done a very bad job with messaging here. I could easily imagine Pfizer and Moderna coming forward in the next couple of weeks and being, hey, you know what? We should never have declared the vaccines were a two-shot regimen. That was wrong. See, they didn't realize how quickly their vaccines would lose effectiveness. Of course, they really didn't know. Was there really a way to tell? I don't know. But it also turns out that a booster can jack up your protection in 95%, but will people still listen? While the authorities are now telling you to get a booster, it would have been much better if we had known this was a three-shot regimen from the beginning. But this is not mad public health or mad health care. It's mad money. And I think we should all be thinking about a new concept. And here's the concept I want to drill into your head. It's called the concept of excess, acceptable risk. Acceptable risk of COVID. If you're going on a cruise ship and you know it's, st- it's stopping in poor countries with relatively low vaccination rates, you have to presume that there's a degree of risk. If you're not comfortable with that, you should just stay home. 
Sure, it'd be terrific if we could identify who are the most immunocompromised people and demand that they take three shots or go nowhere, as these people are now widely regarded as incubators for next-gen COVID. But that would be a violation of patient privacy. The only way this truly works is if we vaccinate everyone and develop herd immunity, something our federal system simply doesn't allow us to do. In a sense, this whole thing feels like our approach to tobacco. We've run very strong anti-smoking campaigns, and we tax the heck out of cigarettes. But we haven't banned them. If you're going to smoke, you simply have to accept the risk of cancer. I think COVID's going to turn out to be similar. You either get vaccinated or, going forward, you simply accept the risk of hospitalization or death. If this virus becomes endemic, we'll have to learn how to live with it and move on as best we can. Right now, we're struggling with a new strain that's even more contagious than the Delta variant, even if it might be less severe in terms of symptoms. We hope. If you want to go out and live your life, you really should get your booster shot and do your best to be careful. That includes wearing masks, not because it will protect you, but because it could protect other people. Worst case, you're much less likely to catch a cold. Some venues may insist that all guests be vaccinated, and they can make you take a test before attending, which I think is the right call. But the president's messaging needs to change. Biden should say you can help minimize your chance of getting sick, but the vaccines can't eradicate the virus unless everyone takes them. So take your three doses, live your life, and let's move on. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.